0: Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, and observations of life written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. I'm Peter J. Join us now as we share and enjoy musings and moments as told by the authors themselves. And let's meet our writers for today's program.
1: Hi, I'm Sue Wade Bill Wiley Kathy Salzberg
2: Carol Belcher
0: Mal Larkin Joe Ewald Faith Flaherty Thank you all for bringing your stories and joining us today And with us to guide our festivities and proceedings Let's all welcome back Sue Wade Yay, Sue
1: Thank you, thank you At least I can speak this week instead of last When I couldn't talk at all Um, Our first reader will be Faith Flaherty
3: This is a poem A short poem reflective, meditative. Here it is. The Old Barn. In the distance, it was beautiful, stately, majestic, a magnet that drew the eye to its rustic charm. It was the old Lindendorf barn, but upon closer inspection, one could see the damage time wrought. Damage does not do justice to describe the once rich red color, the tired roof partially caved in. Yet, The sun pours down light and warmth through the fallen rafters, revealing stalls basking in light and air. Of course, the rain must also come in. I prefer to think of it as a cleansing bath, washing away the ugly. It makes me think of our own lives, how circumstances shape us, and people break our hearts. Isn't this similar to the barn's roof? We may be traumatically open to raw hurt making us vulnerable, yet aren't we also open to see? Perhaps it is then in our vulnerability that our inner beauty is visible and compassionate
0: love grows.
1: Very nice. Nice.
4: A little change of pace for you. Nice.
1: Very good, very good. So our next reader is Joe Ewald.
4: Hello again. I'm Joe Ewald, and the name of my story is The Hot Dog Versus The Hamburger. With July 4th just around the corner, most of us will be celebrating with friends and family. There is nothing like a July 4th cookout. Now, that being said, the most famous icons of barbecue lore is the hamburger versus the hot dog. The long-standing debate, which one is the better of the two? (laughs) I will try to make a strong case for each one of them, starting with the hot dog. The name Frank Further, I have to stop and wonder how many people have that name. <laughs> <laughs> I think that name is German, but I'm not sure. What's so hot about a hot dog anyway? I have no clue except for the fact that it tastes good. When I was a kid, I remember that jingle on the TV. Armour hot dogs, the dog kids love to eat. <laughs> I am not even sure that armor is around anymore. I do know one that's still around is the famous Coney Island Nathan's, which every year has a hot dog contest featuring the famous Joey Chestnut. So that's one reason to pick the hot dog because I don't believe the hamburger has a eating contest. There's also other good hot dogs out there in the market besides Nathan, and that's Hebrew National and Oscar Mayer, and also it has different brands, so you can pick from more than one. Where the hamburger only has a store brand and maybe Bubba's, Bubba Burgers, that are frozen. That's about it, except for the labels declaring the fat level in each one. But moving on to the hamburger, there is nothing like a cheeseburger to devour. The hamburger is very much wanted, as Blimpy and Popeye showed that is, Blimpy is fond of the burger. Then there is Jughead from the comic book Archie. Also, we have the likes of the Hamburglar, unless we forget Ronald McDonald's. <laughs> so, after writing about both, the author thinks it's a tie. I cannot pick one or the other. So, for fun, let's go around the horn with our storytellers and ask them which one they prefer, starting with Peter J. Well, there you have it.
0: First of all, I have to put up a disclaimer. Every year on my birthday, the traditional meal is franks and beans, Uh, a little bit of comfort food. And that's not to say I'd be dissing the Bubba Burgers. I love the Bubba Burgers. (laughs) So so there there are times for each. Now, with respect to the name, when you think of movie heroes, Bond, James Bond, it loses a little something when you say, Furter. Frank-furter. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of thumps in there. So you're going for the hot dog? i um, um, you know, I've already committed. You know, it's, 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 it's a done thing. Point of no return. <laughs> That's it. I can't go back.
1: Um, I decided to take care of the tie by having one of each.
4: That's
1: it. You know, let's not favor one over the other. Just have one
0: of each. Of course, let's not forget W.C. Fields. IS, oh, yes, the legendary tube
4: steak.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, cheese hot dogs.
4: <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so we'll put you down for hot dog, right?
5: For me, yeah.
4: Oh, okay.
6: And I'm going to go along with the hot dog, or as we call it, the wiener as well.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Oscar Meyer.
2: Yeah. And I go for a hot dog
7: too. Wow.
2: I didn't expect this. No, I didn't either. Yeah. Wow.
7: I will echo Peter's uh, uh, Saturday night special. Franks and Beans. And if I'm in Los Angeles, it's the In-N-Out Hamburg. Ooh. In-N-Out. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're the right. Famous, the famous In-N-Out. Yeah, that one surprised me. Last time I was in L.A., I got to do that. Amazing. That's a wow.
3: Well, I would have to be different, right? I only like... Hot dogs. I only like Fenway Franks. Oh. And you didn't even mention them, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I, Fenway them coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I only like I only like hot dogs when I'm outside. Mm. I don't like them inside. Um, and hamburg I always picture hamburg with um, cheese and onion and mm. tomato. On a sesame bun. There you go. And a little bit of bacon. So I'm a hamburger
4: girl.
0: Now, before we started, Joe, you talked about wanting to get some feedback from the listeners.
4: Right. um, You can call the station to put in your personal opinion if you like the hamburger or the hot dog. We'd love to hear from you. We want to know. And just say number one for hot dog and number two for hamburger.
0: Call now. Call today. 508-508. 528-9377 Five two eight nine three seven seven, or you can email us at info at wfpr.fm Again, our number is five zero eight five two eight nine three seven seven, and you can email us at info at wfpr.fm because we want to know. Hamburg, Number two, hot dog. Number one, what is your choice coming up for July 4th? Operators are standing by. <laughs>
4: <laughs> We'd love to hear from <laughs> you.
0: That's
7: right.
1: Our next reader is Al Locken.
7: Hi, Al Larkin here. This is a memoir as a boy of a place I visited and I'm still visiting to this day. And the title is Back in Time. My mother's sister Mary had just died, and her husband Frank was now here from Prince Edward Island for the funeral. They were very close, my mother and Mary. I was very fond of my Aunt Mary as well. She was the mother of 11 children and was down from Canada to help provide for the family as things weren't going well on the farm, and there were many needs which she was trying to provide for them by working here. I remember her getting huge empty flour barrels from the bakery and will fill them with all the goods and needs of her children and ship them home to P.E.I. Two things I remember her for was first probably the best Toll House cookies ever baked and the nickname she gave me when her youngest son Billy, whom she brought with her from the island, would try to say my name. This two-year-old saying Albert called me Abu, and needless to say, it stuck, and my Aunt Mary called me Abu, and I'm sure my mother Gertrude and her sister Mary had a good chuckle over that. My mother was good-looking and how she loved to sing those cowboy songs, could even yodel, but Mary was likely called the pretty one. My mother was also smart and needed to be very prudent through all those depression years, making the most of my hard-working father John's earnings to keep us afloat. They were the parents of seven children, five boys and two girls, with meager assets but not lacking in faith. It was now 1942, and we're in World War II. Her adopted brother, Bobby, had left home from their dad's farm on Prince Edward Island to join the Canadian Air Force and was now serving in England. Their elderly father, John Lynn along with his wife Maggie, were then in their 70s and needed to somehow manage the farm in Avondale, PEI. This was an opportunity, my mother must have thought, as when Uncle Frank returns to the island, he might take along her two older sons, John 11 and I, Albert 10. We would be a great help to her parents that summer with the many chores that go with farming. This also would get her two boys off the streets of the city of Boston for the summer, where it was easy to find trouble. To get an idea what it was like for mother with her two older boys' independence, was that when we would be leaving the house, she would ask her, where are you going? And we would say, out. And she would say, oh, okay, just be home on time for supper. Uncle Frank was agreeable to take us with him to PEI, as his farm was across from John Lynn's on the island. Brother John and I were obedient and adventurous anyway, so this was a great unknown and might even be fun. Uncle Frank stayed for a while until after the funeral, and it was now late June when we boarded the train in the late evening at North Station in Boston that would take us to Canada, a trip that would take two nights and a day to complete. The U.S. train would get us to the border, and then a Canadian train would get us to the boat for the crossing. It was coach all the way for us, and sleep was hard to come by on those hard cloth bench seats. Brother John and I spent a lot of time between the passenger cars with the top half of the exit door open to catch the scenes and on the curves see the engine and the other cars, squinting our eyes to keep out the cinders coming from the engine stack. Upon reaching the ferry, the engine of our train would push our passenger cars onto the boat, and when the ship docked on the island, another engine would connect to those cars and take us to the city of Charlottetown, which is the capital Prince Edward Island. As soon as we were on the boat, John and I made a beeline for the ship's restaurant to get our favorite fried egg sandwich on homemade bread that would cost about 15 cents. Yum. Our mother could barely afford to send us, I know, and lucky for John and I, we had money of our own from shining shoes and selling newspapers from our many street activities. Upon arrival at Charlottetown Station, my grander, John Lynn, was there to greet us with his horse and buggy, pulled by the very fleet, Jerry, a horse that was from a racing breed. My grandfather became my idol. He was quite the wit, and though a little boastful, was at the same time spiritual with our morning and evening prayers. Small in stature, but long in character. Someone to compare him to would be Edmund Gwynne from the movie, on Miracle, uh, movie Miracle on 42nd Street, where... We remember he was Santa in that film. I later learned that John Lynn made a great Santa for all the families in his community of Avondale, PEI, with his winter white beard. He now had a great gray mustache and balding white hair. Uncle Frank sat up front on the two-seater wagon with Granda, and John and I plugged to the back of their seat while sitting on a slightly slanted cover where goods were placed and took in all the marvelous vistas of shore and rivers with the green fields full of new hay, golden grain, and, of course, new potatoes that PEI is famous for. When we turned into the lane of our new summer home. John and I saw a small house with a big barn and two other smaller buildings for chickens and wood. We also saw the well that had a rope with a bucket that was lowered to the water down in the well. The rope would come off a wooden drum with a handle you would turn to bring the bucket of water up for use in the house and watering the animals. Inside, we met my grandmother Maggie. Mighty sweet and gentle was she. There were two closed-in porches, where you enter coming into the house. The first was where you slipped out of your boots with your heavy wool socks before continuing to the kitchen through the second, larger, which had a hatch on the floor with steps down to the cool red clay cellar, the place where potatoes, turnips, milk, and butter were kept, their fridge. The kitchen smelled good with the wood stove going and fresh-baked something in the air. There were two other rooms on that floor. One of them was Maggie and John's bedroom. The second was the parlor, which, as I remember, was hardly ever visited. And then there was Maggie's Pantry, where wonders were performed. Brother John and I were to sleep in the attic, where a ladder would take you more like a loft. It had bedding, and up on the roof rafters hung a huge salted codfish and a variety of local uh, spice plants there to dry. The barn housed two horses three milk cows and a calf, with two large sows, one of which was to give birth to piglets, and about a hundred chickens in the little building. My grandfather had 50 acres to farm, 15 from which they would get their firewood. There were many chores to do, seven days a week, and we must have been a great help to our grandparents, where we never worked so hard, loving every minute of it. Got to know and love them all the while as well. So here we were, John and I, Coming from the streets of Boston with sidewalks, running water, electric lights, and dozens of friends. Now with granda and grandma, to a lifestyle in the way things must have looked like 50 years ago. Bare feet on clay roads and kerosene lanterns for us that year. After that summer, I was to return for four more, which in fact became the best memories and years of my youth.
4: Well done.
1: Nice memories.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And you. Um, I treasure them. Depicted a clear picture of farm life.
1: That was very good. Our next reader is Carol Belcher.
2: Hello. My title is Dad's Radio. In early 1941, Dad had electricity brought into our little house. We all thought that was wonderful. And it was. What a grand treat it was to turn on a lamp. No more trimming wicks, washing globes, and filling lamps with oil. I was seven, and those were my jobs. Dad did some other great things that year. A really enormous improvement was installing an indoor toilet. There wasn't room for a complete bathroom, so we kept the big round galvanized tub for baths. The thing that pleased Dad the most was his new radio. He would come home from his milk route and sit in the living room next to his large wooden radio and listen to the news of the day, how he enjoyed that simple pleasure. My older brother Maynard and I enjoyed the radio too. We would listen to Cowboy and Mystery series in the late afternoon. It was like magic. I was in second grade and my brother could barely tolerate me. We both loved the shows, though, and we behaved and got along pretty well when they were on. After December seventh, 1941, Dad, like almost everyone else, was interested in the war news. At some point, he decided that Maynard and I should listen to the daily reports given by Edward R. Murrow, who broadcast from London every day. Just after supper, we were called to sit by the radio for an hour. Maynard was mildly interested, but the only part that piqued my interest was when Princess Elizabeth would read her messages to the children of Great Britain. I thought she was tops. We continued this habit until the fall of 1943, when Mom and Dad bought a bigger house, and we moved closer to town just after school started. By that time, Dad was working at the shipyard in Quincy, and Mum was the first woman manager of an A&P grocery. Dad always felt uncomfortable because he was not in the service. He was too young for World War I and a little too old for this war. He had three brothers who went to war, and he certainly knew that he was fortunate not to be drafted. But there was always that little feeling that he should have gone. Even though we had moved, Dad kept up the 6 o'clock radio show. It had been going on for a long time, and I was beginning to be interested. Then Dad had his work hours changed, and Maynard and I were off the hook. In October, I was exposed to whooping cough at my new school. I was in third grade in a two-room schoolhouse. There were three grades in each room and there I caught whooping cough and shared it with my brothers. We were out of school for three months. The radio certainly came in handy then. We were still listening to our stories, Joined by our younger brother now, and then the radio station changed our adventure stories to daily soap operas for the ladies. What a disappointment! That was when we started listening to the six o'clock broadcast from London again. Dad was really happy to hear that between coughs we were back to Edward R. Murrow. All
7: right. Very good. Very nostalgic, huh? Eh?
2: We're sort of bringing back the
1: stories on the radio. Nothing
0: Mm. like a radio (laughs) story, right, Peter? That's right. That's right. Absolutely.
1: So our next reader is Kathy Salzberg. And this is another story
6: from my career as a pet groomer. It's called Real Men Do Like Cats. He swaggered into my shop one evening. His dirt-streaked cat carrier held at arm's length as if its contents offended him. I hadn't seen slicked back hair like that since grease appeared on the silver screen, but this guy looked a lot scruffier than John Travolta ever did. His sleeveless Harley shirt with the snarling pit bull wasn't large enough to cover his Budweiser belly, but it revealed a panorama of tattoos on his burly arms, which included the flags of the USA and the Confederacy, as well as the emblem of the U.S. Marine Corps. Semper fi, I said to myself, wondering if this fellow was a soldier of fortune home on leave or an ex tenant of the big house up the street. <laughs> Turns out he was an entrepreneur just like me. The business card he slapped down on the counter identified him as the proprietor of Rick's Auto Salvage, Inc. Wholesale retail. Don't ask for details. (laughs) The macho man was obviously uncomfortable with his current role as the chauffeur for a flea-ridden kitty. Name of pet? I brightly inquired, filling out the index card. Brucie, he mumbled, eyes downcast oily fingers tapping on the counter. And are you Brucie's owner? I continued sweetly, pen in hand. No way, he snorted. This flea bag belongs to the wife. I know cats have fleas, but when they start playing hopscotch on my bed, I told her, either the fleas go or he goes. He looked bored to tears as I delivered the short version of my life cycle of the flea speech and I sold him some foggers before he beat a hasty retreat out the door, grumbling about my ridiculous prices. Brucey was a sweetheart, an orange tabby as big as a sofa pillow, who patiently endured his grooming and flea bath. As I worked on the chubby Morris lookalike, I wondered why so many macho-type men would rather die than admit their affection for a cat. Of course, I've known many men, my husband included, cat lovers extraordinaire. History is full of them. King Tut, the Prophet Mohammed, St. Patrick, Tennessee Williams, and Ernest Hemingway. Hitler, not surprisingly, was a cat hater. (laughs) With our growing singles population today, statistically more women than men own cats. A swinging bachelor I know tells me one of his most successful pickup lines is, Do you have a cat? He feigns affection for the felines, although he secretly believes if you'd seen one cat, you've seen them all. He calls upon his lady friends bearing cat toys and catnip treats, but he's puzzled when the cats regard him with a cold-eyed stare. Of course, I informed him, unlike your dates, cats are not pushovers. They can always tell if you're sincere. I'll admit that was rather catty of me.
0: <laughs>
6: women freely admit that cats are substitute children who never ask to borrow the car or have you pay their tuition bills women adore their cats babying them in their single prematernal maternal years and coddling them in later years when human children have grown and gone And because cats are shameless hedonists, women find cuddling and petting these purring, slinky creatures complements their own sensuality. After all, we like to think we can be slinky creatures too. But both women and men can be embarrassed by the lusty, in-your-face behavior of a female cat in heat. Male cats are no slouches in that department either. On her recent visit, my elderly aunt Margaret was dismayed as she witnessed Yeti, my Himalayan boy, writhing and moaning as he rubbed catnip all over his body. She suggested I enroll him in a twelve step program to deal with a substance abuse problem. Nor was she thrilled when he wrapped himself around her leg and panted as we played a game of scrabble. Nevertheless, I believe there's an unspoken bond between women and cats, both persecuted throughout history as witches and their familiars. Female and feline, mysterious and misunderstood. My own grandmother was a feisty, intelligent creature who enjoyed about the same amount of freedom as a furry house pet, but she worked harder, had more kids, and was terrified of mice. Macho men, like Bruce's non-owner, may be uneasy with the independent nature of cats. Most, like most women today, will not obey on command, nor are they into slavishly kissing up to gain favor, something dogs are only too happy to do. Some cats, like some women, will never be totally tamed. I may enjoy your pampering, such a cat may be thinking, but don't take me for granted. I'm not totally dependent on room service. I could still catch a mouse if I had to. And unlike women, Men seem to identify with their dogs like they do with their cars and trucks. When one of these cavemen type condescendingly tells me, you could never handle my dog in this shop, I know the dog probably plays the role of his alter ego as well as his pet. If I'm feeling particularly patient, and not too pressed for time, I might introduce him to my 110-pound co-worker who just put a companion dog obedience title on her Rottweiler. Like feral cats, maybe these cat-despising men were not adequately socialized before they left their mothers. Some may even be closet cat lovers whose image would be toast if they were caught caressing a kitty. I suspect that was the cat, the case, I suspect that was the case with Rick and Brucey. After he grudgingly paid his grooming bill and hustled the cat carrier out the door, the auto parts king was spotted in the parking lot, baby-talking the tabby as he placed him in the cab of his pickup. It's okay, Brucey Woosie. I got you a nice fishy to eat as soon as we get home, big fella.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
5: yeah, so clever. A closet cat fancier. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's
1: yeah. true, it's true. <laughs> so our next reader is Bill Wiley.
5: Hi, uh, I'm Bill, and uh, this poem is about Franklin and, and uh, what, what used to be and what's it's not there anymore. This is called uh, Franklin, My Hometown. Franklin sure is my hometown. I love it so much, I never frown. A lot of changes have been in the works. Not for the better, sometimes it hurts. The storefronts change over time. I still remember the five and dime. The Rome restaurant, it sure is still here. The pizza is great, I live very near. The supermarket Brunelli's has come and gone from Star Market to Shaw's, the memories live on. It's a shame the old fire station was torn down, but times go on, memories will never be gone. The movie theater, where I've been many times, Hey There It's Yogi Bear lives on in my mind. New storefronts and apartments where Franklin Furniture used to be and Jimmy's Drugstore are gone now, you see. J.J. Newberry's, I remember it well, bought my Beatle albums there, this I can tell. My first sight of Santa in his beard so white, I ran screaming and cried with all of my might. And Dean Jewelers, where I bought my 45s in reel-to-reel tapes, I got them with pride. My memories live on, they will never die. I love them and keep them with such pride. They are part of my being, my memories I keep seeing. Franklin sure is my hometown, my frown is now upside down. I still live in the family house, you see. I feel so happy, memories come to me. My memories won't die, they live on in my mind. But things go on, the passage of time. I love it so much, Franklin, my hometown. Veterans Memorial, don't put them down. My memories won't die. They'll never go away. I guess I'm all done. Nothing more left to say. All right.
7: Very good. You took us
4: back,
5: Bill. Yeah.
1: There has been changes.
5: Yeah, sure is.
1: I'm going to read an oldie. Uh, Some of you have heard it before. Others have not. In the spirit of the holiday coming up, it's the 4th of July in hell. Under a bright, cloudless sky, we ate a light breakfast and set off to the parade in the next town. We sat in front of the general store. Yes, small towns in mid-America still have general stores. We were facing the post office, a converted one-car garage. The parade started, a police car, a small band, Boy Scout group the early 20th century fire truck and then the tractors. An old red tractor, a green John Deere tractor, and then the mother load. The tractor had tires six feet tall and plows as wide as the entire road. Children on bikes with cray paper intertwined in the spokes and streamers trailing from their handlebars rode the length of the parade. Once the last tractor passed and headed back to the farms, we made our way past the craft tables to our car. Now it was time to go to the lake for food. Ribs smoked to fall off the bone for perfection. Hot dogs, hamburgers, and sausages were all ready for us. There was food to delight everyone's taste. Three potato salads, two macaroni salads, a large garden salad, corn on the cob, potato chips, and crackers and cheese. finished the meal, everyone enjoyed it. There was kayaking, paddle boat rides, fishing, and a rope swing to jump into the lake. Fun was had by all, all day. Well fed and tired from the day of fun, we put on our jeans and sweatshirts and boarded the pontoon boats headed for a larger lake. The line of neighbors in pontoon boats gathered and followed each other through the culverts and channels to the largest lake of the nine lakes. We arrived on the new lake which was covered with pontoons, some decorated as pirate ships, some as log cabins, some not decorated at all. We cheered and talked and toasted the day. Chinese lanterns were sent afloat, twinkling and blinking off of sight— Darkness fell slowly as all anticipated the main event. Finally the sky was filled with twinkling lights reflected in the lake. Red, silver, green, blues and golds shot high in the blossoming, shot high and blossoming into glowing fireworks. The firework display finished and we all turned for home. Tiny running lights on the backs of each pontoon lined the exodus. The long line slowly shortened as everyone breaks off for their homes. Bundled in blankets and softly talking, as not to wake the little ones, we arrived once again to the house on the lake. So ends the Fourth of July in Hell, Michigan.
7: All right.
0: Once again, I remind everyone that in Sue's story, we heard about hot dogs, hamburgers, and yes, wait for it, sausages. <gasps> More controversy, Joe. I know it. So what? If, so so if somebody is in the sausage camp. What What do we want to do about that?
4: Yeah, I was just going to mention it. Faith just took it. Kilbasi. Yeah, Hillshire (laughs) Farms, Famous Kielbasa. There you go. All
0: right. So once again, if you're in the hot dog camp, it's number one, and you can call us at 508-528-9377, or you can email us at info at wfpr.fm and tell us that you're in the hot dog camp with your vote for number one. If you're in the Hamburg camp, or yes, the Cheeseburg camp, You can also say so by voting for number two. Now, as far as sausages go, you can declare. Let us know (laughs) that you're walking a different path. (laughs) So in last month's program, I talked about creativity and I described, you know, what I believe is important to the process. You know, how to find a good idea, how to cultivate ideas. Uh, and I'd mentioned at the time that I had written a preamble to a good friend's book on the subject of creativity. So this is part two of that same preamble, along with what I read last month. I wrote a sidebar. Uh, Last month, it was about how creativity can be had. This month is what you do about it. When you have a great idea, what do you do? So the title is One Man's Walk. He walked along in silence. Back then, walking could mean a few days travel, just Getting from town to town. At what precise point along the way was he headed out of town or into town? Didn't much matter. What happened in between was the work of silent contemplation. His stride was contemplative. Walking alone with your thoughts is part of every journey. And our guy was very alone with his thoughts. It was that kind of alone where you ponder a lot. And in that pondering, that deep interior monologue, you become pretty good company for yourself if you're a good listener. That personal, introspective, totally chill state is the crucible of creativity. He was driven, industrious, many would say ambitious. That said, he had no successes to boast. Yeah, he had a job, but not a career. He was a tax man. It was a miserable, low-level, go-nowhere government job. He didn't even have a desk, let alone an office. He was stuck in field operations, always being on the road. Working the hustings meant no advancement, no real future. Everyone he encountered, his euphemistic clients, automatically despised him as he extracted tax and treasure for the realm. He was miserable, headed to another miserable town. And when he got there, he would inflict more misery on more clients, just doing his miserable job. And as he walked along in silence, immersed in his deepest thoughts, the greatest insight struck Saul like lightning on the road to Damascus. In a transformative flash of insight, Saul of Tarsus reinvented himself to become St. Paul, the man whose singular efforts established and championed the early Christian movement in Rome, across the Mediterranean and eventually the entire Byzantine Empire. In that dazzling moment of creative insight, modern Christianity was born. The backstory. Some years earlier, Saul tried to become a member of the high priesthood, the Pharisees, a good gig with a lot of power and stature. He didn't make the cut. So he opted to become a tax collector. It was steady work with a smattering of power, but no stature. Back in Jerusalem, Saul noted the intense passion of a small but growing religious sect known locally as the Evionim, the poor men. When it comes to passion, you couldn't beat those guys with a stick. God knows Saul tried, quite literally. Saul's blinding flash of insight, if the Pharisees won't have me, perhaps this is a parade I can get in front of. So while in Damascus, Saul floated some trial balloons, tested the waters, talked it up, tuned it up, refined the spiel, got some interest and feedback, polished the act. He did his homework. Returning to Jerusalem, Saul met with the apostles and arranged to spread the good word, agreeing to send a cut of proceeds back to the home office. In essence, Saul, now Paul, bought a franchise and, terms in hand, staked out his territory. When it comes to the early Christian movement and the early Christian narrative— Saul of Tarsus, now known as St. Paul, was a tireless, prolific writer-publisher. Back then, publishing meant patiently copying, hand by hand, every epistle, every message, over and over again. It was grinding, but necessary work. His many epistles and teachings became a major part of the Christian Bible. One can reasonably argue that Saul, quite literally, wrote the book. As for the apostles and their religious sect, Paul's prolific work made them considerably less poor. Over the next few hundred years, St. Paul's Christian franchise was unstoppable, expanding with great success across the Roman realm, while the original poor men slowly faded into oblivion. There is little record of the Evionim, also known as the Ebionites, because they didn't communicate or evangelize as extensively in writing as Paul did. They relied on the Jewish custom of oral tradition. Sitting on one of the biggest ideas in the world, it was easier just to talk about it rather than do the documentation. That creative spark is a tiny piece of lightning. It comes in a silent moment. It makes a big bang. The moral, publish or perish. If you have a good idea, act on it. Give it a bear hug. Develop and document it. Own it. Run with it. Crawl on your hands and knees across fields of broken glass for the sake of it. Push it for all it's worth. Or eventually someone else will. A big, bold idea is lightning. You have to make the thunder.
4: Excellent. Which Paul certainly did.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think we've done it again.
1: I think we have. I think it was a very good show. Very good.
0: I think we hit a home run out of the park. Speaking of home runs, I read the following email. A woman uh, named Chantel Bonner. Hello, I happened upon your show today as I was searching through the stations not typically driving midday, but there was something about listening to you that reminded me of the times I used to sit with my grandparents that caused me to linger. Anyway, in response to your question, do children still sing the same songs of April? Here is a recent video of my son who will be two next month singing what has become a daily song here in Franklin. So you have fan mail.
1: I have fan mail. (laughs) How about that?
0: So, once again, hot dogs or hamburgers, what is it? Let us know.
4: Yeah, so far the hot dog has gotten out to an early lead.
0: <laughs> yeah, what's the score there, Joe?
4: I think it's five to one. Five to one, yeah. Oh, wow.
0: that's a cue for all you Hamburg folks out there. Start, start <laughs> dialing and emailing.
1: Absolutely. I hope everybody has a good Fourth of July as it's coming up r- rather quickly. And hope he- the weather is nice and everybody enjoys. With family and friends.
0: And the ceremonial burning of meat on the holiday, whether it be a hot dog or a hamburger.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Do you or have sausage. A
0: th- that's right. Yeah, I forgot the sausage. That's right. That's the wild card. The <laughs> sausage. That's right. Do you have a story to tell? We would love to hear it. If you would like to join our Senior Center writers, just call the Senior Center at 520-4945. For all of our writers...
1: Hi, I'm Sue Wade. Bill
0: Wiley. Kathy Salzberg. Carol Belcher. Al Larkin. Joe Ewald. Faith Flaherty. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. I'm Peter Jay. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaningful experiences of life become a little larger when you share them when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR.